I'm here with Kings head coach Miles Taylor for episode three of the South Jersey Kings manager show. Miles, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Blessed to be here. So let's start as we always do. Last Tuesday, you guys had a great game against the Ospreys, jumping out to the 4-1 lead, or excuse me, jumping out to an early lead, and then coming back thanks to a huge grand slam by Jared Pokrovsky. You guys ended up winning that one, pulling away, winning 8-4. Can you talk just a little bit about, you know, what type of energy Pokrovsky <coughs> provide from that huge grand slam last Tuesday night? Oh, man. And the crazy thing is, Aaron, he was struggling that game. Like, his first two... ABs were really bad ABs. And, you know, sometimes he he knows how good he is and he knows how good he can be. So sometimes he puts a lot of unnecessary stress on 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 himself to be like Superman. And sometimes you got to tell him to just just play the game, play the game. Don't try and do too much. Shorten up a little bit and just let the chips fall where they may. And Aaron, he crushed that ball. That was the only good swing he had all day, and he got every bit of it. And that was the spark we needed because we were hitting a couple baseballs hard, but they were going right at people. And, you know, game starting to get late, and everybody's like, wow, we're, you know, we're still down, and we really need this win. So we had an opportunity, and we finally struck gold when he hit that grand slam. So that was huge for us. And then on Wednesday, you got to be part of Wednesday's all-star festivities at Quakertown. And we saw Jarrett in the Derby, of course, and we saw Anthony Swenda mm -hmm. in action in the all-star game. Uh, what was that whole experience like for you on Wednesday? It was pretty good. It was really good. It was nice to see a couple of uh, professional scouts. It was good to see uh, – some college coaches out there. You know, this is my first All-Star game on the other side of it, on the coaching side. I've been a part of All-Star games in summer leagues, but I've never been on the side of it with coaching. So this was this was a good experience to see it from another side. Uh, talk to players on, you know, other teams around the league and seeing that everybody's pretty much the same. Everybody wants the same thing out of this. All of us want to compete for a championship. Everybody you know, it's really down to earth in this league. And, you know, it was just, it was a really good experience at Quakertown. They ran it the right way. It was just a long day. That, that's, that was the only downfall of it. It was a really long day. But, you know, I would do that again. That was a lot of fun. And then we saw on Thursday, you guys had the doubleheader at Trenton. And that was an all-around that was an all-around uh, great performance, and eight of the nine guys in the lineup scored in game one. And, of course, you guys had the combined no-hitter from yeah. Jason Hoops, uh, and then Stevie Thomas finished it off. Uh, first off, when's the last time that you managed from the dugout and witnessed a no-hitter? Managed from the dugout and witnessed a no-hitter? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was probably my first, my first season coaching in 2016, and it was in Legion Ball. So, yeah, it's been about six years since that's happened. And what's crazy is, Aaron, I didn't even know it was a no-hitter uh, until you said something to me after the game. Because it's just how, just how the game flows and you know you're into it and you're like, oh, all right, you know, guys are putting up big swings. We're, we're doing what we're supposed to do. And, you know, you just expect 
Jason Hoops to go out there and do what he does. He just he dares somebody to hit his stuff, and he's very confident in his stuff. And then Stevie Thomas, you know, he's been pretty much lights out for us all year. So you just expect those guys to go out and do what they do. So for them to do that and accomplish that is very special. Yeah, and one thing that I really took away from that performance was only the four walks allowed to Jen's hitters. You know, we've seen walks not just with you, but with other teams in the ACBL really be a deciding factor uh, in determining a win or a loss this season. So how do you help your pitchers improve their control in order to limit those free passes that they're allowing? Get ahead early. I think the problem with some of our guys is that we believe sometimes if we throw a fastball, a too good of a fastball, it's going to get hit out the park. If you throw too good of a curveball, it's going to get hit hard or a changeup or whatever. So guys try to be a little too perfect early in the count. And guys have to sometimes get away from that because that caused you to fall into a hole and then you're just playing into the hitter's hands and to getting a groove me fastball, which is going to get hit out of the park or hit hard anywhere. So I tell our guys to work on first pitch strikes to then now you hold the at-bat in your hands instead of the other way around. So when you're attacking guys, you'll, you'll be very successful. And one guy – one guy that we've seen be extremely successful this year with attacking guys getting ahead in the count is Jason Hoops. Uh, I think he's an all-star snub. I mean, he's 2-1 with an 0-6-4 ERA, 25 strikeouts over 14 innings, and he hasn't even allowed a hit in his last nearly eight innings pitched. Uh, what, do you, what have you seen yeah. from him this, him this summer that, that you think has led to his great summer? We, It was funny because when he first came in, everybody was like, oh, this kid throws, you know, really hard. He's going to be unhittable. And his first time out, he he struggled with a lot of walks. And he got – he was really frustrated, uh, very mad at himself. And we had talked for a little bit after his outing was over. I don't like talking to guys while their outing's going on and trying to give them mechanical tips and everything like that. So we waited till the outing was over, pulled him to the side, and just talked to him about first pitch strikes and – not trying to be too perfect and not putting so much stress on yourself and sometimes trusting your defense. And ever since then, not only has he not given up a hit, it, it just looks like he's overmatching guys. He's overpowering guys just by his fastball. And then when he drops his curveball in, it's it's like you don't know what you're gonna you don't know what you're gonna be able to do with him. So it's very tough on hitters when you have a a 90-plus mile-per-hour fastball and then you can throw a hook in there for a strike at any time. So even if I'm throwing the curveball out of the zone now, I still have to respect it. So that's where you'll get a lot of swing and misses and weak ground balls, and you'll have a lot of hitters guessing because not only do you have a 90-mile-per-hour fastball that I'm barely catching up to or I'm not catching up to, now you have a curveball I have to worry about or even a changeup I have to worry about. And, you know, guys are in there guessing. And he's in a lot of guys' heads. And this is the most confident I've seen him all summer. He gets out into the mound and he knows I'm about to dominate whoever's in the box. And that's a scary sight on the other side.
but so I'm glad he's on our team. And then transitioning into game two, you guys came out in attack mode, raced out to a 7-2 lead, but then we saw Mateo Gravano struggle a little bit out there on the seventh, gave up three runs to tie the game. Uh, he's coming off two tough outings now, and, and from your perspective, what do you think the right-hander has to do to get back on track? He, he, has, to, he has to attack a little bit more. I know uh, this last one, he didn't get a real he didn't get a real chance to necessarily warm up completely uh, because of an injury, and uh, he just started to fall behind batters. He really started to fall behind, and he's another one. His stuff plays well too. A, a high eight, low nine guy, where if he's just putting the ball over the plate, guys are going to get themselves out. And I think he has to completely understand that as well and know that if he tightens up his mechanics just a little bit, he's going to be a hell of a pitcher. And I think he's confident enough to where he understands that now, looking back at what happened. Now, granted, it wasn't all on Mateo. He, he definitely didn't have his best stuff. But we also didn't field the baseball. We kicked it around a little bit. And we were playing really lazy. There was a, a play that still haunts me to this day where our catcher overthrows the center field and then our outfielder tries to be the hero and throw the kid out at third when he's already there. Then third baseman doesn't block the ball and a kid scores from first on a routine steal. That's That can't happen. And, you know, I tell guys, you know, we could all – point the blame at the pitcher for walking everybody but then when the ball got to you and you make an error what happened there so it's it that game wasn't all on Mateo at all you know that game could have been over from the jump if we just kept our foot on the gas and we kind of we kind of just tried to coast to another win and on any given day anybody can get beat and they know that now and then, so right after that bottom half of the seventh ends, because you guys were the road team, uh, that game was rescheduled, which is supposed to be played uh, July 26th, uh, and instead was rescheduled as a home-and-home uh, -home doubleheader, which you guys ended up being the road team for game two. After that happens, the on-field sprinklers turn on, and that delayed the game. Uh, you know, that was a wild scene, just a huge strikeout by Gravano. Bases loaded, no outs, gets out of the jam, and the sprinklers turned on. Uh, just what, what was that whole 20 minute delay, uh, like for you when you saw those sprinklers come on? Oh, I was like, no, man, we got to finish the game <laughs> at that point. You know, they tie the game up. They're fired up. I get it. We're, we're on a really hot streak. You know, we're smelling ourselves a little bit at that point. And any, every team in the league wants to beat us. Every team wants to face us and every team wants to beat us. So they had their shot. And I'm like, okay, well, they're not going to beat us now. And the sprinklers come on. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to tie. I don't want to tie to anybody, nobody in the league. So I'm like, well, we need to call somebody and find a way to get these sprinklers turned off. Thank God somebody from West Effort was there working that game. So he called to the higher ups and, uh, somebody else who, who owns the field got the sprinkler system to turn off. And that was perfect because 
I thought once one of them got going, then everything else would get going as well. But thank God that didn't happen. And so you guys ended up using four pitchers, ended up losing that game in the eighth inning, eight to seven, a wild one, uh, using four pitchers in that loss. And one of the biggest issues facing this team is just the amount of guys that you guys have had available uh, each night. Uh, how do you manage the lack of arms on your staff to make sure no one's getting overworked, but also making sure you're putting the guys on the mound that will give you the best chance to win? Uh, it's 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 tough. You know, our owner, Mike Olson, has helped me out with that, with bringing new guys in to kind of help uh, carry the load. You know, some guys have gotten a lot of work in at their high schools and at their colleges. So, you know, towards the end of the summer, guys start to fizzle out and you're going to need an extra one or two arms and you're going to have to manage it to where you know you're not going to potentially hurt that kid and stretch him out longer than he needs to and you're going to know what's his limit like I wouldn't take somebody who has a three inning limit each game or per outing and try to stretch him into five because that's where you know he may have arm trouble he may get hit around a little bit. He may start to walk guys. So you kind of have to go with the flow and kind of have a plan before, before the game happens. And then once the game happens, you need to go with the flow of the game, see what's working, see what's not. And, you know, just trust your instincts. You really have to trust your instincts in this game because baseball isn't a ton of X and O's. You know, some guys are smart and some guys can do the X and O's. Some guys can't, but some guys know how to trust their guys more than others. And I really, I really do trust every pitcher in our staff to go out there and win us a ball game. No matter who's on the mound, our guys know it too. We can, we can play with anybody. So anybody gets on that mound, we're expecting a win. And Going back to your comment about, you know, when you got a big winning streak like you guys did, uh, like you recently did, uh, just having that target on your backs, every team wants to beat you. And Quakertown comes into town. They were winners of 10 straight coming into yesterday's doubleheader, uh, which was at home. So do you feel like there was any extra pressure or, or, you know, any extra motivation to beat them knowing that they've won 10 straight? You know, every team's trying to beat them. And now you guys, arguably the second best team in the league, possibly the best uh, with the big shot to beat them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody, everybody is starting to realize like the, the shift of power. I think there's, there's four teams that have a chance to win it all. Everybody obviously has a chance on any given day, but there's four teams that could run the table and have a chance to win it all in our division. And Quakertown and us were the two hottest teams at the time. Uh, so this matchup has been something to look forward to for the last, at least the last week for, for me personally. I've looked forward to it for the last week. And I know their coaches look forward to it. We talked at the All-Star game that we couldn't wait to play each other. So everybody has, I won't say a little bit more pressure, but there's definitely some, some much much needed playing to be done against the Kings and the, the Blazers from Quakertown because we we both like to get after it. We both can hit. We both can pitch. 
we both can field. It's I think we're the two best teams in the league. But, you know, there's four teams in this league I think that can compete at the highest level. And with a matchup like that, we were both really hungry to get two wins. We we both wanted to sweep each other. Nobody wanted to split. Both teams wanted to wanted to sweep each other yesterday. So that's always good when you have a competitive edge and a competitive level like that. And so you said you think there's four teams that have a shot to win this division championship. Obviously, the Metros, the Blazers, and you guys, the Kings. Uh, is that four team the Matrix? No. I was honestly going to say uh, I like the Generals pitching more than the Matrix pitching. Okay. Because everybody has, you know, the Matrix has three legit all-stars that can, that can hit. But if your pitching staff isn't deep enough, you're not going to go far. So I think the general's pitching staff can kind of make a, a, a bit of an impact and a little bit of noise if, <coughs> if uh, you know, their offense can figure it out a little bit. And if their offense is figuring it out, then I like their chances more than the Matrix, in my opinion. And so the Blazers, obviously – a legit team. They got one of the best hitting duos. It one of the best lineups, obviously, in in the entire ACBL Wolf Division or Kaiser Division. They're pitching really tough too, and under three ERA as a team. You guys saw Game One, Ben Christian. He has an under two point five zero ERA, and then Game Two, Matt Choi, who has yet to allow a run this season, and Dom Proietto, uh, who has an under three ERA as well. Uh, as a pitching coach, uh, what did you see from the guys that the Blazers put on the mound, specifically those three? They attack, and they all have plus change-ups. With our team, you can – when you interview anybody or ask anybody, what's the toughest pitch that they have trouble with? And it's anybody with a good change-up. Any pitcher with a really good change-up is going to be tough to hit because it looks just like a fastball. So out of the hand, if I'm not recognizing the downward movement or the spin, then I'm thinking a fastball's coming, and I'm going to swing out of my shoes because it looks – like it's right there and then it falls off the table and you're either going to roll over or you're going to swing and miss. And they had a few guys with really good changeups yesterday. And that was good for them to see because uh, their, their first and game one starter had a really good changeup. And towards the back end of his outing, guys started to see it more. So now I think the next time we play them is going to be really well for us because we're, we're going to give them our best. They're going to give us their best. And I like our chances now because guys are starting to make adjustments. And with our pitchers, they haven't seen, you know, certain guys on our staff. They've only seen a few guys. But we've seen their top guys. We've seen their top four or five guys all from yesterday. And they still haven't seen like four or five of our pitchers that can go out and beat anybody. So I think with their staff, they probably have just as good a staff as we do, but their staff has uh, a lot of guys with quality change-ups, and that'll play at any level, any division, any professional level. You have a plus change-up, you'll be, you'll be destined to, to make a name for yourself. And what can you say about Blazers third baseman Owen Petrich? 
He leads the entire ACBL in multiple categories, hits, runs, RBIs, obviously home runs as well with 11 now. Uh, he really burned you guys with two big homers, one in each game. Uh, on the mound, how do you attack a guy like that who just seems to find a way to get on base every A-B? Well, it's tough because, you know, <clears throat> I think he struggles more with like a, a slider and a curveball. And, you know, some guys will, you know, guys are competitive and they'll say, oh, well, he's not going to touch my fastball. And then he hits it over the fence. And, you know, I get the competitive aspect of it. But when playoffs come around, there will be a certain way we pitch Owen. He's the kid's just he's a really good kid. It's very tough to to get out. He has 11 homers, you said, right? Yes. Four, four of them. Four of them are against us. It's he had two in, in one game and and then he hit he just hit two yesterday in, in two games. So four of those eleven home runs are against us. So he's very tough to get out. Their lineup top to bottom um is very tough to beat. But like I said, I, I like our chances. They like their chances. It's gonna be it's gonna be a hell of a series if it gets to Quaker Town and Kings in a championship. I I can't pencil it in just yet because you know anything can happen, but you know, I think that's what the people want to see too. And just a few more here. The uh we talked about this yesterday after game two. Uh a story of the double header uh-huh. was really the amount of runners that you guys left on base. You know, game one was eight, game oh. two was ten left on base. And seven of those in game two came over the final three innings, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. Uh, what has to change in order to make sure those guys are coming into score and not being left on base? The approach. The approach at the plate has to change. We talked about it after the game yesterday. Um, we talked about it mid-game two yesterday as well, that our approaches have to change. And guys are swinging out of their shoes and the defensive counts. And that can't happen. And then guys are having defensive swings in offensive counts, meaning guys are in a two-strike approach in a 1-0 or 2-0 count where they're just trying to foul the ball off when they should be really trying to hit the ball out of the park or hit something hard in the gap. And then in a 1-2, 0-2, 2-2, they're trying to hit the ball out of the park when they should be trying to go the opposite way uh, or hitting a mistake hard on a line and guys are still trying to put the ball over the fence and the approach has to change, especially with runners in scoring position, you have to kind of look for something that benefits you early in the count. That could be a, a, a curveball right over the plate that maybe you're not looking for, but you can, put up the middle for a single or a fastball elevated, hit the ball to right field and and sacrifice yourself to get a run in. And we're trying to do too much hero ball. We're trying to hit the the long ball and hit a, a double and, you know, have everybody cheer us on because we got, we got the run in plus we got to hit, you know, we got to start sacrificing ourselves a little bit more and, playing with the flow of the game. We could have we could have ended that game three times yesterday. They gave us every chance in the book to end that and we just didn't. So we ended up tying with those guys, but I don't know, man. We 
we got to change the approaches at the plate. The approaches at the plate were not good at all yesterday. And that's probably what frustrated me the most because we saw their best guys and you're having some good ABs. And then when you get runners in scoring position, the good ABs just dwindle away. So that was more frustrating for me. But, you know, I expect us to pick it up this week and play good baseball and have it carry over into next week as well. Yeah, you guys left a runner on third base, the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. That would have been the winning run, but yep. ended up with the 5-5 tie. But you guys were down 5-3 in that bottom half of the seventh, you know, battling back, scoring those two runs to tie it in the bottom half. Uh, what can you say about this offense that continues to keep you guys in games? They they make adjustments, and they're, they're tough to get out. I have 14 or 15 guys that could play at any time, and – produce at any time not many coaches can say that some coaches could say I got like six guys some could say I have a full nine but I have a full nine plus five or six guys on the bench that can come in and produce right out the gate so when you have that your lineup becomes interchangeable and it becomes makes you a tougher team to beat like the offense knows how to hit they know how to go the other way they just have to keep getting into a groove and trust in their stuff. They have to trust in themselves and, and not try to play hero ball every two seconds. And we'll be a, a force to be reckoned with. And talking about producing, one guy who has absolutely produced for you guys, I'd be remiss to end this manager show without mentioning him, is catcher Matt Shepard, hitting 714 last week. He's now hitting nearly 600 yeah. on the season. Uh, what can you say about the job that he's doing right now, both behind the plate and, of course, at the plate? Well, I talked to Matt uh, early on in the year when he first came on, and I was just saying he didn't look like himself. I had said it to him when he was at Cumberland and he said he was hurt. But then in the summer, his swing looked all out of whack. And I was like, dude, you got to like, you know, tune up your swing just a little bit. Like you don't look like the Matt Shepard I know. And he said he got into the cages for, for like a few days. He just locked himself in the cage and he's now back to doing what this is what he did at Cumberland. This is how confident he was. He's, his confidence is at an all-time high. And, you know, he's still on the under the radar for school, so he's still trying to find a school that, that suits him, so he's got to play his best ball. And once he gets into a lineup, he knows he's getting on. So – and he's fast, so then he's stealing bags. It's – he's a five-tool player, five-tool player. Wow, that's some, that's some high praise for Shepard and – Certainly he deserves it. Yeah. Now, was there, was there any talk Absolutely. of him starting in game one on Sunday? There was. There was. But I have arguably three of the best catchers in the league. <laughs> so I can, you know, I can start Demucci and, and he'll throw guys out. I can start Shepard and he'll throw guys out. And I can start Stoss Petrowski and he'll throw those guys out. So it's like I can – I have – it's a it's a hard job, but it, it makes my life easier because I can flip a coin and, and start guys and everybody's still confident to throw to all three of those guys. And that makes my life a thousand times easier. And that, that's a great problem to have, you know, having too many yeah. guys who can produce 
Uh, that's that's a great problem yeah. to have. And and let's end on this. Uh, you guys are one point back in the Metros who hold that second uh, spot for a first round buy into the playoffs. Uh, what is the key mm-hmm. to getting the job done this week in order to put you in order to put you guys in a position for a first round buy? We got to win out. We have to win out. I know they still have a few more games to make up next week. Uh, they have two. They, they have so two who knows? Weeks. They could. They have two next. They have two next week that they still have to make up. So if we went out, we kind of control our own destiny. If we went out. I see us getting that first round by. <clears throat> now, if we lose a game we're supposed to win, then we're probably going to be stuck at third. It may come back to bite us. But if we went out. I see us getting that first round by. So the Kings and Miles Taylor will be taking on the Pilots tomorrow or Tuesday night on the road and try to get back to the win streak. Currently, the only team in the ACBL along with the Quakertown Blazers to have a tie under their belt. They'll look to get back in the win column yep. tomorrow night at in Jersey against the Pilots. Here with head coach Miles Taylor for episode three of the Kings Manager Show. Thanks for joining me, Miles. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I appreciate it.